Blog Talk Radio. King Wave Fox Beard Lock is acting very weird. That's Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the Dog afterlife. Boimler, Tendy's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher Bath left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. With that awesome song that was written by me and recorded by Eric, which I had a blast doing, by the way. Um, It's time for another awesome episode of Trek Talking and Beyond. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me as usual are my Trek experts. And we'll start out with Eric, who recorded that song for us. He's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing just great tonight, guys. It is a rainy afternoon in Portland, perfect spring day as far as I'm concerned. The temperature was quite nice. I was quite busy, but uh, I did get out when I could to enjoy the, the night, light, misty rain on my face. As a Northwesterner, you kind of you kind of like that stuff. Yeah, it's raining here in Vermont, too, but I'll take it over the snow. Leslie got about four inches up in Saranac Lake, so I'm glad it stayed up there and didn't come down here. <laughs> and uh, we mm-hmm. also have with us my right-hand man, uh, my right-hand man, Charles. And Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Oh, we got a nice sunny day. We're hitting low 70s today. Oh, we'll probably average high 60s, low 70s next week. And we got some wind coming in, but it's calm weather today. Nice day, and actually some time, good time. I just got a little extra time outside, maybe, in today, but I can actually stay, all, stay outside to the show end and still be light out. It's already dark here. I hate this this time change garbage. But uh, anyways, we'll survive. So we have a great show planned for you guys tonight, like we always do. Tonight we're going to be talking about Star Trek Voyager. We're going to revisit Caretaker, which was the pilot episode, and Endgame, which was the series finale. And we're going to take a look at how Voyager started versus how Voyager ended. So if you'd like to give us your insights or share your thoughts on Star Trek Voyager, Please give us a call. We'll be here for the next two hours. Our phone number hasn't changed. It's 646-668-2433. So please give us a call. It's Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. But that's not all. We have Star Trek news to go over as well. And uh, we've got some great stuff uh, to talk about as always. Uh, Paramount dropped hints on a new movie. We have five, that's right, five new actors announced uh, and characters for Strange New Worlds. And not only that, but Star Trek is very well represented at the Saturn Awards this year. All that and so much more 
to come. Just give us a call, 646-668-2433, and we'll get you on the air right away. We just broke 42,000 followers on our Facebook page. It's incredible how quick we're growing, but thank you so much to all of you for helping us with that. And if you'd like to be a member of our Starship family, just head over to Facebook and go to Trek Talking and A&D Beyond. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Tell us where you're from. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of numbers and people in our family, Eric, why don't we go around the globe and see who's listening and from where? How does that sound? Oh, man, that sounds fantastic. It's one of my favorite parts of the show when we get to talk about how even though three-quarters of our listeners come from the United States, at least uh, a quarter of our listeners actually come from outside the United States. And we always like to highlight our international listeners in that number one spot for our international listeners this week with 5.07% of our listeners. That is uh, it's verging on a record right there. Uh, the UK, they've been at the top there for a while. And you all just keep uh, sending us more and more listeners. We really super appreciate it, all the folks from the UK. Thank you so much. In our number two spot, slipping just a tiny, tiny bit, but still holding strong and pretty far ahead of uh, anyone else by a solid percentage, 3.93% of our listeners come from the folks down under in Australia. And the guy, the dude, the dude, if you're listening, the call us back one day. We'd love to know your name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> In our number three spot for international listeners this week, we still have Canada, our brothers and sisters to the north, with 2.99% of our listeners. Now, they slipped under 3% this week, so uh, I guess the UK kind of uh, bumping up has sent everybody else uh, plummeting just a little bit. Uh, But that's not to say that they're not still strong in that number four spot coming out of nowhere months ago and still holding steady, Norway, 2.56% of our listeners. And guess what, guys? We got a new number five. Can you believe it? We were just talking about it. this maybe maybe a week or two ago. I think we were just talking about this country and how many of our uh, Facebook uh, contributors come from this country and how many fan shout-outs we give out to people from this country. So thank you, 1.26% of our listeners from now, Germany, in our number five spot. Thank you so much. Wow. How about that? I always love it when we get somebody new in the top five. It's kind of like, ooh. Fresh blood. Yeah, Germany Germany jumped out of nowhere right up there uh, and knocked out, uh, uh, was it Spain or France that had that spot? I think it was Spain. Spain, yep. I think. And knocked out Spain. And Spain Spain is hanging in there. I didn't put them on there. But Spain is, is right under Germany with 1.18%. So Spain is knocking on Germany's door. But Germany said, I'll have none of that. And just left ahead to 1.26. So congratulations to our German listeners. It's great to have you. And once again, if you'd like to hear your name mentioned in a shout-out, just head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper symbol right at the top. Tell us where you're from. If you see a heart next to your name, that means I've picked your name. And we're going to give you a personal shout-out and a thank you live on the air, which we're about to do right now. So, Eric, who's on your list for fan shout-outs this week? Well, our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to somebody from one of our number one international countries from Kidderminster, UK. We're saying hello and thank you very much for listening to Tarl Cabot. Wow, how about that? From Kidderminster. i got to look up where that is. I am uh, unfamiliar with that area, but I'm sure it's a very lovely area. And thank you so much, Tarl, for listening to us. 
Uh, our next fan shout out goes to Catherine Lee Ford from guess where? Right here in Oregon. Catherine, do we know each other? Have we seen each other in Portland? Thank you for listening to us. Top fan <laughs> Benjamin Koenig from Hanover, Germany. Thank you for listening. You are now one of our listeners in that top five. So, Benjamin, thank you for making that happen. And as a top fan, we know that you contribute regularly to our Facebook page already. So it's super cool to have you along the ride leading the charge for those German listeners. Thank you so much, Benjamin. We're also saying hello and thank you very much to Streifen Skunk from Hanover, Germany. Look at that. Two folks from Hanover. That's a heck of a, a lineup. And, well, should we go for the hat trick? What do you say? Also from Hanover, Germany, showing us a Vulcan peace sign on our page, Eisen Carl. So Benjamin Streifen, Eisen, thank you so much from all being from Hanover, Germany, and for listening to Trek Talking. Charles, who is on your list this week? Well, let's start off with John Stonefield from sunny South Saskatchewan, Canada. Hey, <laughs> then we got Kane Bikis from New Zealand. Then we got Jesse Cork from Osceola, Wisconsin. Thank you, Jesse, for that pronunciation. William Montgomery from Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and Ben Westover from Utah. Boy, I got some. A Canadian, New Zealand, and some American. I wonder who Jim's got. Eh? Well, I'm good. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to wrap every with our <laughs> with our listener shout outs, and we're going to say hello and thank you to Jamie Harris from Hope, Canada. Eh? <laughs> That's GM Chris's stomping ground, and we're hoping that maybe one of these days COVID will go away and just be a memory in our rearview mirror. And we'll be able to get GM Chris back on the show with us, and he'll be working some normal hours. So let's hope. Uh, We'd also like to say hello and thank you so much to Mark McGlynn from Scotland. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And here's another one of our U.K. listeners from Preston, U.K., actually, uh, Tony Dawson. Thank you so much for listening. And going down to the Philippines where my coworker Francis is from, uh, we'd like to say thank you and send a huge shout-out to Julius Delos Reyes, who's listening to us in the Philippines. And finally, last but not least, we'd like to send out a huge thank you and a hearty kapla to Mary Hatfield from Iowa. And as many of you know, that's where Captain Kirk is from. And guess what? He was born in Iowa, but he only works in outer space. So thank you to everybody for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. And if you'd like to hear your name on a fan shout-out, just visit us on our Facebook page. Tell us where you're from and look for the heart next to your name. And that brings us up to Star Trek Birthday. Klingon song. No, it wasn't Warp, but we like it anyways. And we always start off Star Trek birthdays remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And this week, 
we actually have a pretty lengthy list to go through. I was, I was really surprised at how many birthdays we had this week. And so, as always, we're going to start off with Eric. We're going to turn to Eric to uh, give us our remembrances of those that are no longer with us. So, Eric, uh, one of them, though, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. So, before we, we start, before we start this, I want to see. I know I have it. I have to have it. If I don't have it, then I'm not a good fan. <laughs> um, um, come on. Tell me I got it. I have to have it. I should have downloaded this before the show. What was wrong with me? Why wasn't I? You know why? I'm old and senile. That's what it is. Well, that's... I'm old and senile. Come on. You know what you I could do? Here. I could start. I could start okay, with somebody else, Jim. Oh, okay, nope, I go. got it right here. I knew I had it. So our first birthday that we're going to start off with, uh, usually Eric does, but I'm I'm going to jump in here because without this first person that we're going to mention tonight, Star Trek would not be the Star Trek that it is. Star Trek would not be the same. This, this first person, although not an actor, although you've never seen this person's face and you would not know this person at all if you saw them in person, you do know who this person is. And in honor of this person, I'm going to play this song for you guys. And then Eric can introduce this person. Space. A final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. If you ask me what the most seminal part of that whole song is, I would say it's probably the soprano voice soaring over all of the rest of the music. And that woman is Lily Jean Norman. Her birthday would have been this week, and she is, I would say, the voice of TOS with that opening theme. Like anybody, almost anybody in any pop culture, even if they're not Star Trek fans, if they heard that, they'd say, oh, yeah, that's the Star Trek theme. And I think her voice is the reason for that. So, wow. Happy birthday and big remembrances go out this week to Louis Jean Norman. How about that? Ooh, Such a memorable song. You know? Yeah, just like I, I think about the first time, you know, every time I hear that song, uh, that voice in particular, it just like transports me back to when I was a kid watching these episodes at my local public library on 16 millimeter film. It was it was just amazing, and, and that voice, ooh, that's something else. We're also saying happy birthday and uh, sending remembrances out this week to Catherine Woodville, who played the character of Natira in the TOS episode with the longest title, I believe, for The World is Hollow, and I have touched the sky. Natira is, of course, the, uh, the sort of woman entity uh, in that episode, and I think Catherine Woodville did a fantastic job with that role. Uh, so happy birthday to her. We're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Frank Overton, 
who played Elias Sandoval in the TOS episode, uh, This Side of Paradise, which is one of my personal favorite episodes. Uh, Elias was certainly a wonderful character, but you'll remember that this is the one where Spock gets to have the life that he always deserved uh, and gets to fall in love. <laughs> so I love that episode and, for and so many reasons. Yeah. Just as a yeah, side note, Elias Sandoval holds a very distinctive role uh, in Star Trek history, and that is mm-hmm. he's the only actor to be, if you, if you watch that episode, to be called Special Guest Star. Apparently they didn't do that on TOS. Uh, they did it once for him, and that was the only time they ever did it. Wow, so Frank Overton, special guest star playing the role of Elias Sandoval. That's that's pretty cool. Thanks for that tidbit, Jim. I had no idea. Awesome. Well, happy birthday to Frank. I didn't know it either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we're also saying happy birthday and sending our remembrances out this week to Paul Fix. Now, if uh, this is not a name that you know off the top of your head, it's probably one you should know because it's a great piece of Star Trek trivia when somebody says, uh, who was the first uh, doctor uh, on the Enterprise? And they and they answer Bones McCoy, and you say, what? That's not right. That's right. Dr. Mark Piper from TOS's episode Where No Man Has Gone Before, played by Paul Fix. Dr. Mark Piper. There you go. A little bit of trivia. And I think Paul Fix did a fantastic job once again, of course, with that role. Um, I would have been happy with him, but Bones, man, he's something special too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're also yeah, for sure. We're also saying uh happy birthday and sending our remembrances out this week to Lawrence Tierney, who played the character of Cyrus Redblock in the TNG episode uh The Big Goodbye. If you remember that one, that's the uh gangster episode. Uh and Cyrus is the big uh sort of the big bald guy, the big boss uh of that episode. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. I love gangster, uh, you know, episodes of uh, of both TNG and TOS. But Cyrus Redblock from the TNG episode, Big Goodbye, played by Lawrence Tierney. Happy birthday. We're also saying happy birthday and sending remembrances out to Walter Gotell, who played Kurt Mandel in the TNG episode, uh, Home Soil. Uh, happy birthday and remembrances to Henry Darrow, who played Admiral Savar in the TNG episode Conspiracy, and also played uh, uh, Kolopak, Chakotay's father, in the Voyager episode Tattoo, and uh, that's very befitting given that we're talking about Voyager episodes tonight. So happy birthday to Henry Darrow. He's got one of those faces that you would probably also recognize if you, uh, if you saw him. He's played a few different roles in a few different things throughout history. Very famous actor. And uh, our final remembrance uh, slash happy birthday this week goes out to Norman Stewart, who played the Vulcan Kolinar master in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, once again, I think a very uh, prominent uh, person that you would recognize if you have seen Star Trek The Motion Picture, and Norman did a great job in that role. Um, so many folks uh, who would have had birthdays this week that we've lost uh, were saying happy birthday and uh, – just a moment of, uh, of solidarity with all these folks that we've lost uh, and all of the effects that they've had on our lives. Now, Charles, Charles is going to start us out with the folks who are still with us who have birthdays this week. Right, Charles? Yes, I am. Let's start off with Titus Welver, who played Lieutenant Maxwell Burke in the Voyager episode Equinox Part 1 and Part 2. Jacqueline Stoltz. Sloan, 
in DS9 to extreme measure. Uh, in Tina, Lemina, I'm not sure of the pronunciation of that one, Ted Cara, in the QS episode Wolf in the Fold. Vanessa Williams played Andreas in DS9. Let he who but he who is without sin. Cleo Young played Serena in Voyager's Blink of an Eye. Leslie Parrish played Lieutenant Carolyn Palasma in TOS's He Who Mourns for Adonia. Susan Day Nimoy played Admiral Roland in DS9's Test, Prologue, and Whisper. <clears throat> and I think somebody made the comment, I think this person's related to a famous Vulcan in the series. Is that correct, Jim? Absolutely. Something she was... You remember the um, the Klingon ambassador in Star Trek Four, played by John Shuck? Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. Susan Bay, Susan Bay was married to John Shuck, and then di- and then divorced John Shuck and married a really famous Vulcan you may have heard of, and his name happened to be Leonard Nimoy. So she was married to a Klingon and got divorced and then married a Vulcan. She was the wife of uh, Leonard Nimoy. Logical decision. Sounds very logical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's. Uh, yeah, yeah, you gotta deal with somebody having those Klingon things just a little too headstrong, and the Vulcans are just pure <laughs> logical. <laughs> Can't argue with that. And they were Sean, Sean Kenny, who played Captain Pike, and we thinking, well, wait a minute, he couldn't have played Pike. He didn't play Pike in the Cage. He played Pike in the Menagerie when Pike was in the wheelchair and he could only communicate with the light beam. He also played Lieutenant DePaul in the episode Arena. And finally, one I recently have actually been talking to based on trivia. This was one of two wives of Captain Commander, well, at the time, Captain Cisco. Kenny Johnson, the eighth in DS9. And then for our other fans, he also plays Dr. Clara Finn in the Orville. Yeah, I love that one. I got that one for you. (laughs) Yeah, I love that one for you. Well, yep. I will tell you that I love both Cassidy Yates and Dr. Claire Finn. I think they are both fantastic yes. characters in their own right. So Penny Johnson, yes. bam, great actress. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she knows she, how to um, really play her coach as well. Yeah. Yeah, she she absolutely does, without a doubt. And and you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Orville, but I think she does a great job as the doctor. And I could easily see her as a doctor on a Star Trek series based on how she plays the doctor on uh, the Orville. So that's pretty cool. She's well, got that um, presence. We, 
she does. She does. And she's got the kids, too, kind of like, like Beverly had Wesley type of deal, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not done yet, guys. We have to take a, a very quick commercial break for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. Uh, for the rest of you guys, still have quite a few birthdays to go to, and one very special one that I'm excited for. That, and you know what that yeah. means? It's going to be a Klingon. And actually, his birthday is today, which is even better yet. So don't go away. Don't touch that dial. Run, don't walk to the bathroom. Hurry to the kitchen. Grab something to drink and get right back here to Trek Talking because we still have a lot of great stuff to talk about. We'll be right back after this very quick message from my friend TJ. Don't go away. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back, and I'm hoping that, that sometime in the very, very not-too-distant future that we'll be able to get back to playing live games again and getting to meet everybody face-to-face, and we can get back to Freakopolis Geekery and actually play some Alliance on the table and play some Attack Wing and, and try out these brand-new fleet packs that are all coming out, so that would be great. I hope we can do that real soon. Anyways. Back to our birthdays. We'd like to say happy birthday to Anna Katrina, who played Velda Innes in the TNG episode Haven. Uh, if you remember, she was the one that warned the Enterprise, you got to go and destroy this ship of lepers before they infect our planet. Uh, she was the mm-hmm. leader of, of, of that planet. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Angela Ferdelsi, who played Kaminar in the TNG episode Schism. She was one of the crew members that was not a Federation officer who was being taken to the um, Twilight Zone or Outer Limit Zone where they were being um, experimented on by the unknown creatures. Uh, we still don't know mm-hmm. who they were. Um, nope. So that was that was weird, weird hoods. I remember they had weird hoods and were kind of mysterious. And they clicked. They click, 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 click. So very, yeah, were... very strange. Yeah, weird. And uh, this next guy, we'd like to say happy birthday to Brad Dorif, who played Lou Sutter on Voyager, uh, in particular the episode oh, Meld. He was a Betazoid who killed people. He actually was in uh, three other episodes. I've seen him on the X-Files. I've, you, you would know his face if you saw his face. He was in Lord of the Rings. He's been in a lot of stuff. But I think that most fans, if you heard his voice, would recognize it because He's the voice of Chucky from the Child's Play movies. There's been six Chucky movies, and he voiced Chucky in all six of the movies. So happy birthday to Brad. Uh, here's, here's the next birthday we talked about a couple of weeks ago on our Romulan episode. 
Beverly Joanne Lindsdale, who played the Romulan commander in the TOS episode, The Enterprise Incident, one of my favorite uh, TOS episodes, and I, and I think uh, one of the most excellent Romulan characters that we have ever seen. So happy birthday to Beverly Joanne Lindsdale. Um, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Jake Weber. Now, I never saw Jake Weber. I don't know who he was until I saw him on Star Trek. But apparently a lot of people know him from other shows. That's not me. I only know him from Star Trek. And he played Zara on the DS on a Star Trek Discovery in the episode Far From Home. There is a tide and that hope is you part two. So happy birthday to Jake Weber. He was a great bad guy. And this next mm-hmm. one, I got some good ones. But this next one, uh, this guy is a director. Most people know him as a director. But... He starred on Star Trek Discovery, very mysterious character uh, by the name of Kovich. And, of course, his name is David Cronenberg. We don't know who Kovich is. We thought he might be with Section 31, but now that's, we, we don't know because they sent Giorgio back, so he can't be from Section 31. Other people have said that he's the president of, the feder- of, the, of the, what's left of the Federation. Uh, we just don't know. He's a very mysterious character who wears glasses for some reason, knows about the mirror universe, knows about Giorgio, has a lot of knowledge about everything. But we don't know why and we don't know who he is other than his, his name. So happy birthday to David Cronenberg, and I hope we see more of him on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, you remember, Jim, he does one. actually give us a reason that he wears those glasses, though. Do you remember what it is? Because he's allergic to Retinac 5? No. <laughs> he says he wears them because they make him look cool. Oh, that's that's true. That's right. He did say that. <laughs> the Retinac 5 was Captain Kirk's line. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, the next birthday, though, is is going out to a very famous Vulcan, a Vulcan that everybody knows, uh, Spock's father, Sarek. This version of Sarek is from Star Trek Discovery, and he's played by James Franz. And I think he plays a great Sarek, a much younger Sarek yeah. than we're used to seeing in the movie. So happy birthday to James. And as usual, I wrap things up. Anytime there's a Klingon birthday, I'm going to hog it up. I'm going to take it because I'm, I'm a Klingon. Kapla! So the first Klingon birthday that we have, for tonight is a character that was pretty minor and doesn't have a name, but you'll recognize her when I tell you who she is. Uh, Faith Minton, who played the lustful female Klingon that Riker sent to Worf in Hide and Q. Remember, she was crawling across the floor mm-hmm. and clawing at Worf on the bridge. And Wesley says, you know, is this, is this Klingon love? And, and, and Worf says, this is Klingon sex. And he kind of beats her, slaps her across the bridge. Um, That was Faith Minton. Um, So happy birthday to her. Now, the one I saved for the end, the biggest and the best, um, I think is the ultimate Klingon. And before before I tell you who it is, I'm going to give you a chance to guess. I met this guy at the Saratoga Comic Con, oh, God, three, four years ago maybe. And I went up and I was talking to him, and he was talking in Klingon. I was so impressed that he actually knew the, the Klingon dialogue from Star Trek. 
I was also surprised to find out that he lives up in Saranac Lake, right by Leslie, which is really cool. So when I was talking to him, I said, so all that Klingon stuff on the show, is that actually, you just, they just kind of make up stuff, or is that real? And he says, oh, no, it's, it's an actual language. Would you like to hear it? And I said, yes. And he says, well, how about the Klingon war song? And I said, oh, my God, absolutely. Yep. So he picked up his Pepsi cam and was banging it on the table like the Klingons do with their, with their blood wine, and he broke into song. I whipped out my phone, and I recorded it, and here is the Klingon war song. Okay, now we're going. This is the Klingon warrior's anthem. I played the General Martok on Deep Space Nine, and this is how it goes. And of course, that's J.G. Hertzler as General Martok from Deep Space Nine. I think one of the best Klingons, not to knock Worf, but I think he's an awesome Klingon, an incredible Klingon. And the last we saw of Martok, he was going off to rule the Klingon Empire with Worf by his side. And I hope and hope and hope that on Star Trek Picard, we get to revisit the Klingons and we get to find out what Martok and Worf did to the Klingon Empire. I would love to know. But at any rate, happy birthday to J.G. Hertzler. And he didn't just play Martok. Oh, no, 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 no. He played also Advocate Koloth in the Enterprise episode Judgment. Now, there's a trivia question on our Facebook page right now with a Klingon on there asking you, can you name this episode? That is the episode where Archer gets tried and he has to defend him. It's one of my favorite Klingon episodes because JG plays an awesome, awesome Klingon in that episode. And if you have not seen it, if you don't like Enterprise, if you hate Enterprise, check out that episode. It's, it's, it's really, really good. He also played the Klingon, episode, uh, Klingon captain in the episode Borderlands. He was the captain of the ship that Archer uh, has a run-in with. He also played a Herogen Hunter in the Voyager episode, Toskini. And, and he played the Vulcan captain of the USS Saratoga that Captain Sisko was aboard with Jennifer during the Battle of Wolf 359, as seen in the episode, pilot episode of Deep Space Nine, The Emissary. So J.G. Herschler's been around on Star Trek for a long time. He's a great guy, wonderful Klingon. Happy birthday to J.G. Hertzler. Kapla! And guess what? Yeah. That's all of our birthdays. Is that hard to believe we, we had that many birthdays? <laughs> so many, but so many good ones, man. So many great ones. I mean, yeah. it's, I love that recording of J.G. Hertzler singing that song because that is something really special there. And I, it gives me goosebumps every time you play it. And he well, is so, on that he one. so great. Yeah. The thing is, J.G. 
loves attending Star Trek Las Vegas. I got to meet him in my first show a couple years ago when I went back to see it and talk to him right there after we'd done the interview. And the two Klingons, I think they do a Klingon karaoke. And last year, the two of them got on, those two loved coming on stage and doing their act. Mm -hmm. I think they were in dresses one year. But one, at least one year, and I've got the recording in it somewhere. We actually did that on stage and for the entire audience and did the Klingon, song, Klingon War song. And that thing is just nice. so fun to listen to. And you know what's great about him, Charles, and you, you can attest to this, when you talk to him, it's like talking to General Martok. He, his voice, he's yeah. got that, the voice that you hear he on Star Martok. Trek is, is Bartok. That is his voice. So when you're talking yeah. to him, it's like you're talking to Martok. He, he's an awesome guy. I yeah. was very impressed. He, and he also loves the fans. He'll tell you stories yeah. after stories after stories. He, he's a great guy. So um, yeah. at any rate, this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. That's right. Black alert, yo. You have been warned. So um, I'm going to start off our Star Trek news with some really great news. And uh, that is that Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Paramount Plus series adds five new cast members and begins production today. Now, this article is from last week, so um, they're deep into production. And before I get into the article, I have to play a soundbite. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. That's right. Production is officially underway on the all-new Star Trek series. Strange new worlds. I'm just so excited to say those words. Stepping back onto the Enterprise will always feel like a dream come true. To sit there and to look around and to see everything, it felt so real and it was so magical. It looks like it could take off. Such a surreal moment for me that I will remember for a very long time. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say it's like a 705. So get ready for the voyages you have been waiting for. We've started. We're in Toronto. We're in production. Here we go. So I know you're listening on the radio, but all those voices were the new cast of Star Trek Strange uh. New World. Some of them we already know. We already know Ethan Peck as Mr. Spock. We heard Rebecca Romaine as number one, and we also heard the awesome, 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 and I'll say it one more time, awesome, Anson Mount <laughs> as Captain Pike. The rest of those voices that we heard were characters yet to be seen that we don't know. But guess what? Don't worry. Uncle Jim's got some info for you. And please, please forgive me if I butcher these names. This is the first time I'm saying them in public. So bear with me. So the first new character that has been added um, is 
bad. All all soon a month. All soon a mocon. I think that's right. I'm yeah, not going to try it I think again. That's pretty, I, I think that's pretty close. I think it's a Lusan Mokun. Lusan Mokun. I think I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that until I actually hear him on the ready room or I hear his name in public so I can hear it and know. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, he plays Biodin. Um, he's the ship's doctor, and within the captain's inner circle of trust, he's in his 40s and has an air of wit and knowledge around him. Dun, 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 dun. Now, we had all hope. He is a doctor bartender. We thought we were going to see Dr. Bartender, but this is a yeah. brand new character. So uh, Dr. Boyce is nowhere to be found. We have a brand new doctor. And according to the bio, this character is from the original Star Trek, but I don't remember a, a Biodin on the Enterprise. Maybe they mentioned him in the background in some episode. I don't know. Uh, but apparently he was on Kirk's Enterprise, so they say. Huh. I don't know. Um, there you go. The next character that, that was introduced is Christina Chong, who plays La'an. She's in her early 30s and is the chief of security. She suffers from PTSD and is a badass warrior who has ample experience fighting on the battlefield. Now, rumor has it that she's a Vulcan because in the picture, her hair is done up in Vulcan style, and she's doing the Vulcan salute with both hands. So rumor has it that she is a Vulcan character. And the fact that she's suffering from uh, PTSD uh, leads me to believe that maybe she fought in the Klingon Wars. Because um, I there's no, yeah, there was I mean, no other, you know. It it is kind of interesting having a Vulcan with PTSD. I I won't say it's illogical because of course we know that Vulcans actually do have emotions. They just suppress them. But that would be an interesting thing to see a full Vulcan uh, with you know some some baggage that they can't shake uh, from previous trauma. Yeah, and I'm only guessing based on the picture. She looked like her hair was Vulcan style, and she was doing a Vulcan salute. Now, I couldn't see her ears in the picture. Maybe I'm wrong. But she sure looked Vulcan and was doing the Vulcan salute. So I think she's a Vulcan. Uh, and the name La'an, just, it sounds like a Vulcan name. It's, it's L-A apostrophe A-N. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. This is the first time. And we're le- you guys are learning this along with me. So... You know, I don't have any inside info. This is the first time we're talking about any of this, so I'm really excited about it. Also, the next character that we have is Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Yabo. She's a rookie fresh out of the academy. She's in her early 20s, making her the youngest member of the Enterprise. She's also a linguist genius and the brightest of her class. So she sounds like a, like a Yoshi, maybe, I would say. Or Yeah, I would maybe, say maybe, maybe like a, a Yoshi with a, with a Tilly. Well, you know, yeah. she's got the communication because she's so young, so, you know, she's got the whole, like, uh, fresh off the academy kind of vibe to her. But, you know, she's a different different actress for sure, so it'll be interesting to see how they bring her character in and make her really part of the crew being so young. You know, she won't have a lot of experience. Yeah, exactly. So I'm looking – I'm thinking maybe like a, a, a Mayweather from Enterprise right out of the Academy on his first. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably a, 
That's probably – well, except that Mayweather also spent time – he wasn't fresh out of the academy. Remember, he was a boomer. He used to go out and, like, do stuff in zero-G and asteroids or something like that. So, but, but I'm thinking that same kind of age range for sure and definitely somebody who's kind of, you know, probably really optimistic and, like, ready to go for Starfleet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really digging these characters so far. Um, the next one we have is Jess Bush, who plays Miller – She's, bio, um, she's Biodin's nurse. She's in her late, thir- or late 20s, early 30s. She's very heroic and charming. She's free-thinking, very open-minded and unorthodox, and is the beating heart of sickbay. So, okay, so I love this idea because you get the doctor who, to me, sounded like a combination of maybe, like, bones, but, like, a little bit younger and a little less grumpy, but, but maybe more witty almost like bones mixed with doctor who like a, uh, like a, uh, you know, David Tennant, doctor who or something, (laughs) but this one, the beating heart, that's one of the things that Beverly Crusher brought to the game, right? She was the one who had the big heart in sick bay. And I love that idea of kind of having both of those personalities complementing one another. And what's interesting, what I find interesting about it is, we have a doctor and a nurse that are main characters on a show. We've never had that before. We had Nurse Chapel bopping in and out. We had Nurse Ogawa bopping in and out. But we didn't have two main characters that both worked in sickbay simultaneously as main characters. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's, and there's another. That's cool. That's right. And you're going to keep going. But after you're done, we're going to talk about the trend that we're all seeing in these cast members so far. Who's our last one? Yeah, the last uh, is Melissa Navia, who plays Ortegas. She's a Latinx woman in her late 20s. She's an experienced vet. She maintains a dry sense of humor to help her cope with the amount of combat she has seen. She's funny, smart, and can crack a joke and a skull at the same time. She kind of sounds like a Jet Reno. (laughs) to me yeah you know it's funny when i think of her i think of i don't know if you guys have seen the expanse or not but i think of our martian marine in the first couple seasons there from uh the expanse when i think of this one sounds like she is just like not going to take any messing around either that or what's her name from aliens um you know one who carries the big gun i can't remember her character's name but (laughs) maybe somebody like that but did you guys notice we have late 20s uh Late 20s, early 30s, rookie fresh out of the academy, early 30s, and then the doctor is in their 40s. So out of the first five characters they've introduced, four of them are young, like really young, freshies, which I think is kind of interesting. I don't think we've, we've had that much freshness, you know. Even in TNG, I mean, I would put people like Jordy and, uh, you know, Counselor Troy and all those folks above the late 20s age range when they were in that show. I just think it's interesting how young the cast is looking so far. And don't forget, Spock is also young as well Mm. for a Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't – number one and and Captain Pike, I think, are the most experienced – are the older of the bunch and the doctor. So that's that's interesting. they joined previously announced Ethan Peck. We already talked about that. Strange New Worlds premiere episode is written by Star Trek Picard executive producer Akiva Goldsman from a story the Oscar winner wrote with Kurtzman and fellow executive producer Jenny Lernett. 
Goldsman and Henry Alonzo Meyer served as showrunners, with Goldsman directing the premiere episode. Star Trek Strange New Worlds will follow Captain Pike by the awesome Anthem Mount, science officer Spock, played by Ethan Peck, and number one, played by Rebecca Romaine, in the years before Captain Kirk boarded the USS Enterprise as they explore Strange New Worlds. So I'm looking forward to that so, so much. And Charles. What do you have for us? Well, we got a voice. We got a voice from the past. Class of Khan directing. Nicholas Meyer has picked a new Star Trek movie to Paramount. After Star Trek Two, Meyer's followed up by writing the script for Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, and writing and directing Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. The success of those films is set up to the cliché that the even-numbered films are the good ones in the franchise. Meyer returned to Star Trek in 2016 to work as a consulting producer in the first season of Star Trek Discovery. We also developed a TV miniseries, Chiefful, The Wrath of Khan, that would tell the story of Khan-Nunian size, size Time in Exile in City Alpha 5, a project that was never put in production. Now working with his time after time as Star Trek's full Star Trek 6 producing partner, Stephen Charles Jaffe, he's developed a new, new truck kit. Meyer didn't want to get into details, but it confirmed that this whole idea was not a repackaged version of Zeta Alpha 5 TV miniseries. However, we did explain that the new idea could end up spawning something on TV. It was a detailed proposal for which we could have been a film, or it could have been a series, or it could have been a film leading into a series, or a series leading into a film. It could be a series of films. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was an independent piece of Star Trek universe based in the holes of the chronology but should allow them for inserting inserting of original material. According to Maya, this pitch was in in the last year. As of now, he has not heard back from Paramount, but he's not given up hope on this idea. So it could be a series It could be a movie leading into a series. It could be a series leading into a movie. It could be a series of series or a series of movies. In other words, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. what's interesting, though, is that he, of course, pitched the, the Khan miniseries already, so I'm wondering, and he says that this is a different type of project, so I wonder what the what the topic is, you know? I mean, it could be something Probably pretty interesting. Star, because I'm guessing a Starship, a Starship crew, but not the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, you know, it seems like he was kind of interested in exploring some of these side stories or backstories of secondary characters with the whole con story and kind of, you know, filling in some of the things that uh, so far all we have is comics and I think maybe one or two novels that sort of call out what may or may not have happened back on SETI Alpha 5. But yeah, uh, his new, so I wonder if his new pitch maybe isn't like the crew on a ship thing, but maybe is some other character that's that he selected, you know, with another character out there that, that he would select to kind of expand upon could be an interesting 
question to explore. Well, there was another article about his SETI Alpha 5 con thing, and he said that the, the, the reason why that never went anywhere is because when they asked him to write it, he wasn't sure what to write. So it ended up being a three-episode uh, arc, and it was too short. You know, they want ten episodes. Um, so, you know, what do you do? Do you expand it to a full ten? Do you do it as a miniseries? Do you do it as a movie of the week? How would you do it? So Study Alpha 5 uh, with, with Khan has been written, and he's not sure what they're going to do with it, whether they're going to have him expand it into a full 10 or whether they just want to do it as a one-off. He, he, he hasn't heard anything, but Study Alpha 5 has been completed and, and, and is ready to go if, if wanted, if needed. Um, and, so you know, know one of the things on that he – one of the things he talked about in that article, Jim, was how he was almost like a victim of the changing times because he – I think what I'm noticing is that writers are having to make a change these days. You know, back in the day, you had your 26-episode season uh, with probably a mid-season cliffhanger of some, um, of some type in the winter. And, you know, writers got used to working on a certain rhythm in a three-part miniseries, you know, each part two, one to two hours long was a thing that they did, right, back in the 90s, even up into the early 2000s, I think. That was something that they were still doing on television. But now the game has changed, and now seasons are 10 episodes long. And so I I think it makes sense from, like, a marketing standpoint for Paramount to want something that's longer. But he also said in that article that he doesn't want to take this great story. He's very proud of the three-part story that he wrote. He doesn't want to take that necessarily and, and try and, like, fill it you know, to make it into 10 episodes. So I fear for us ever being able to see this because it's like he wrote it, but he wrote it in the wrong format for today's television. Right. Well, maybe a short trek type of thing or something. I I, I don't know. But at any rate, we have to take another quick commercial break for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. The rest of you guys, just hang tight. We'll be right back after this very quick commercial break. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And welcome back. So we're continuing with our Star Trek news. And Eric, what do you have to tell us about tonight? Oh, I got some interesting stuff. Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard nominated for a total of seven Saturn Awards. Uh, The Saturn Awards are given each year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films to recognize outstanding achievement across the genre in film and television. Star Trek is set to make a splash at the 46th Annual Saturn Awards with an impressive seven nominations across six categories. First up is the nomination for Best Science Fiction Television Series. Both Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard have been nominated into this category. Both shows are up against some heavy hitters, though, like uh, Doctor Who, Pandora, Raised by Wolves, Lost in Space, and Westworld. uh, Sir Patrick Stewart has been nominated for Best Actor on a Television Series for Star Trek Picard. 
Uh, he's been nominated for five previous Saturn Awards, and he has won two in his past, so uh, that would be another feather in his cap. Sonequa Martin-Green has been nominated for Best Actress in a Television Series, uh, along with Katrona Balfe from Outlander, uh, Melissa Benoist from Supergirl, Regina King from Watchmen, uh, Sandy Newton of Westworld, Candace Patton from The Flash, and Rhea Seahorn for, uh, from uh, Better Call Saul. So lots of names there, uh, lots of good shows. Uh, but Sonequa Martin-Green's in there. In the category of Best Supporting Actor on a Television Series, Star Trek Discovery's Doug Jones, Doug Jones, is up against Jonathan Banks and Tony Dalton from Better Call Saul, Michael Emerson from Evil, Richard Rankin from Outlander, Norman Reedus of The Walking Dead, and Luke Wilson for Stargirl. But wait, there's more. Star Trek Picard's Issa Briones is nominated for Best Performance by a young, Younger Actor on a Television Series. Her competition is Freya Allen of The Witcher, Breck Bassinger from Stargirl, Maxwell Jenkins from Lost in Space, Madison Lentz of Bosch, Cassidy Malinci from The Walking Dead, and Aaron Moriarty from The Boys. And finally, guess who, guys? Jerry Ryan has been nominated for Best Guest Starring Performance on Television for reprising her role of Seven of Nine on Star Trek Picard. She's facing some stiff competition, though, as Ryan has been nominated alongside her Star Trek Voyager co-star, Kate Mulgrew, who was nominated for her work on the Audience Network series, Mr. Mercedes. Also nominated in that category are Billy Porter for The Twilight Zone, The Walking Dead's Jeffrey Dean Morgan, John Cryer for Supergirl, Giancarlo Esposito for Disney's The Mandalorian, and sci-fi legend Mark Hamill for What We Do in the Shadows, not for What You Thought. <laughs> <laughs> but man, what a what a great honor to be uh you know, have seven nominations on the Saturn Awards. Uh if you're unfamiliar with the Saturn Awards, the Saturn Awards are the ones that were kind of created, I believe, back in the set yeah, actually the very first Saturn Award winner was guess what movie guys? Rollerball, nineteen seventy five. Oh. Um, one of my favorites. So, it's such a cool movie. I love that movie so much. And, you know, the Saturn Awards were actually created because people, uh, what was his name, Donald A. Reed, didn't feel like there was enough uh, recognition given to sci-fi and fantasy films. So Saturn Awards are specifically given away to sci-fi and fantasy films, which is why they're one of my favorites, because that's my jam. Uh, and I love that there are seven nominations here for Star Trek series. That's just a, a really big honor. And I'd say some good ones here. I mean, you got Patrick Stewart, Sonequa Martin-Green, you got uh, you got Issa Briones, you got Jerry Ryan. I mean, those are some heavy hitters here. So super excited about that. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. I think, and I know everything you mentioned, which is which is cool too. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm finally, too bad that Jerry Ryan and Giancarlo Esposito are in the same category because that is that's rough right there. Like, I don't even know who to vote for. I love Jerry Ryan, but, but man, Giancarlo Esposito is doing a great job too. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that is true. That's a tough one. That is a tough this is one. The way. So uh, wrapping things up guys, before we start talking about discovery, I mean, uh, Voyager, our number here is 646-668-2433. If you want to talk Voyager, now is the time to give us a call. Wrapping up our news this week, yes, yes, we already talked about Nicholas Myers, but 
Paramount Pictures taps discovery writer to pen original Star Trek feature film. Uh, this is the one that started it all. Paramount Pictures has tapped Kalinda Vasquez to write to write the script for an original movie that she hatched, according to the report. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot is producing the project. Even though Abrams has signed a new deal with Warner Brothers, he and Bad Robot have continued their relationship with Paramount, including producing two upcoming Mission Impossible films and an upcoming Cloverfield sequel. Fans may recognize Vaquez's name as she joined Star Trek Discovery as a consulting producer in Season 3 and wrote the teleplay for the episode Terra Firma Part 1. She also wrote the short trek episode Ask Not, which was a great, great one, um, with Pike, of course, who's awesome. So good. Uh, it can also so good. be said that, that uh, Star Trek has been part of her entire life as she was named after the character Kalinda, a Kelvin, from uh, Star Trek, the original series episode, by any other name. Before joining Discovery, Vasquez worked as a writer and producer on a number of series, including Fear the Walking Dead, once Upon a Time, Prison Break, and Nikita. Vasquez was recently tapped to collaborate with George R. Martin for the HBO time travel series Roadmarks, which she will also be executive producing and show running. This will be her first feature film project and would make her the first woman to ever write a Star Trek movie. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. we'll That's have to wait awesome. and see what happens with that but uh yeah there are some star trek movies in the works so that is cool whether or not it'll be nicholas myers one or this one we'll have to wait and see but the fact that a star trek movie is back on the drawing board again that's good news for all of us so that's awesome all right guys you ready for some uh some star trek voyager Dun 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 dun. Dun 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 Okay. <laughs> so the first one we're gonna talk about is the first episode of Voyager. It's the pilot episode. It's called Caretaker. Now, unfortunately, the the trailers that UPN put out I thought were really short, crappy little little things. Uh when you're doing a pilot or a premiere a little 30-second clip that says, watch Star Trek Voyager premiering Sunday at 10 is garbage. Uh, so I did find a premiere trailer for the U.K., which obviously aired after Voyager premiered and here in the United States. So when you hear this trailer, it's a little bit different than what you're used to hearing, and that's because, well, anyways, you'll you'll figure it out. Here it is, the U.K. promo for Star Trek Voyager caretaker. For this crew hurled into deep, deep space. We're over 70,000 light years from where we were. The only chance to survive is to survive together. Fire phasers. Captain Catherine Janeway, one of the most respected captains in the Starfleet. Janeway to bridge, respond. Lieutenant Tom Paris, rescued from prison and given a second chance. Mr. Paris, take the con. Yes, ma'am. Chakate, captain of a group of rebel freedom fighters. Security officer Tuwak, a Vulcan who is a wise and respected peacekeeper. The prime directive would seem to apply. Communications officer Harry Kim, a recruit fresh out of the Starfleet Academy. Is the crew always this difficult? I don't know, Doc. It's my first mission. 
Chief Engineer Balana Torres. A half Klingon and former member of the Marquis. Who is she to be making these decisions for all of us? An alien unlike any ever encountered by the Federation. Neelix forgoes his scavenging existence to join the Voyager crew. Neelix! Perhaps he would care for a bath. A what? Kez, a young and beautiful alien and Neelix's partner. We both want very much to be a part of your journey. Doc Zimmerman, holographic doctor, an emergency medical program devised by Starfleet. Doesn't anyone know how to turn off the program when they leave? You've made an enemy today. I strongly suggest you get us out of here. Fix to beam up. Get out of here, Paris, before the whole thing comes down. Yield at 60%. In minutes. I thought they just cried. No! Star Trek. Voyager. Whoa. So, yeah, the dialect is a little bit off, and some of the names are a little bit off, but I really like that promo better than the 30-second one that we got here in the States, so that's why I played it for you guys. So, Caretaker is a pilot episode of, the, of Star Trek Voyager. The series premiere was first broadcast as one yeah. double length episode on January 16, 1995, as the first telecap of the fledgling UPN network. The premiere was seen by 21.3 million people. That's that's pretty cool. That's a lot of people. Filming began that's a lot on, of people. on uh, people, people, people. Uh, filming began on September 6, 1994, with the scene set on Deep Space Nine. Scenes with Genevieve Bajold, the first actress chosen to play Captain Nicole Janeway, were filmed with her over September 7th and 8th. Bajold and director Windrick Kolbelt reportedly disagreed over Bajol's performances. She quit on her second day of filming, and production was suspended until September 12th, when filming of scenes without Janeway recommenced. Actresses reported as possible replacements for Bajol included Joanna Cassidy, Susan Gibney, Elizabeth Dennehy, Tracy Scoggins, mm-hmm. Leslie Krauss, and Kate Mulgrew. Kate Kroger was cast as Captain Catherine Janeway, and shooting of her scenes began on September 19th. Several of Bajol's scenes can be seen on the Season 1 DVD extras. Uh, Caretaker took 31 days to shoot and was filmed at multiple locations. The production of the pilot episode remains one of the most expensive in television history, reportedly costing an unprecedented $23 million. In 2012, Denny Geek ranked Caretaker the seventh best episode of the series retrospectively. The Hollywood Reporter ranked Caretaker among the 100 best episodes in the Star Trek franchise. Variety found Caretaker to be a worthy launch of the Star Trek series, calling it impressive and praising the design of the intrepid class USS Voyager. On the other hand, Caretaker marked a reduction in viewers from the last episode of The Next Generation, which had over 30 million viewers when it concluded the previous year, which was 1994. Voyager was not able to maintain the viewership achieved with Caretaker, 21.3 million, but did achieve average ratings. In 2016, Sci-Fi ranked Caretaker as the fourth best of the six Star Trek TV show pilots made up to that time. Eric, what did our fans have to say about Star Trek Voyager uh, Caretaker? Well, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, Julian Phillips said a 6. 
It set the scene well. However, I'm not sure why Voyager couldn't have returned to the Apple Quadrant. And, you know, I'm going to say plot reasons, because I think there are a couple of websites out there that actually explain all the ways that Janeway could have gone back and done all the things she wanted to do. But I will say that, you know, then we wouldn't have a series. So that's my answer. (laughs) Top fan Christy Cummings says, I'll say a five. It took off afterwards, though. David Matthew says a three. Pretty good premise as a premiere, but less than stellar. Diana Taft says a five. It's not my favorite, even though it sets up the whole thing. Four, uh, excuse me, uh, Sean Hinnicky says a four. It was run of the mill. It started off the series, but it didn't get me hooked. And Jura Braz says a ten. Best Star Trek in history. Janeway Hart. So... If you average all of those scores together, uh, that is only about a 5.6. So that is what our fans have to say about this episode. So who wants to start off uh, with Voyager? Who who likes, you know what? Let's let Eric start off with Voyager. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know I'll start I love to talk about Voyager. Yeah, because, yeah, why don't you start us out? So what do you think about this episode of Caretaker? Yeah, here's what I'll say about this episode. I I think there – what's interesting about um, talking about Caretaker is I think that it is a different experience watching it now than it was back in the day when it first came out. So as Jim was reading in his article, you know, back in the day when this first came out, Star Trek The Next Generation had just ended. DS9 had already overlapped with uh, TNG and was then also going to overlap with Voyager. And then Voyager was the one that was going to carry things into the future. And, of course, what we get uh, at the beginning uh, of Caretaker – well, actually, before even we get to the Starfleet stuff, let's just talk about the stuff before the credits because you almost start this episode with a Star Wars like uh, here's where you are, crawl. You get some credits coming oh. in. It says, yeah, it says, here's what's going on in the universe. You've got the Maquis. They are upset that the Federation has made peace with the Cardassians, uh, and they feel like they need to fight the Cardassians. And so they keep on fighting. And, you know, we get the Maquis ship with Balana and Chakotay and Tuvok on it. This is all before the credits. And so our initial introduction to this series, all the time before the credits, had absolutely nothing to do with Catherine Janeway and the uh, Voyager, which I think is a very cool way to start it because it shows you that at the beginning, we're going to take these two diasporate groups and put them together on one ship and make them work together. Brilliant. The next scene we get is the Tom Paris scene where Janeway goes to pick him up um, from essentially prison. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's done some bad things. He actually explains it to Harry Kim later in the episode, uh, what actually happened. And, uh, but Janeway believes in him. You know, she sees uh, that uh, his dad has been a big influence on him, Admiral Paris. And I'm trying not to mix in too much of the book that we all just read because there are some great, uh, actually, chapters in the book about these scenes and uh, Janeway actually explores in the book a little bit more why she selected Tom Paris and why she decided to bring him along for the voyage. So 
we'll get into that in another episode of Trek Talking. But suffice to say, I love the scenes with Tom Paris at the beginning. Then he comes on board the the Voyager, and by the way, we get that famous flyby, right? All the great movies and series, when they launch, uh, you get to do a flyby of the ship, and we get the same thing. We get a shuttlecraft buzzing the Voyager. In this case, it's Tom Paris and uh, the lieutenant that he's hitting on at the time, <laughs> buzzing the Voyager <laughs> and, and kind of giving us our first view of that ship. And what a cool-looking ship something entirely different from what we've seen. I'll just fast forward that in the, in the very end scene, we get to see the variable geometry pylons for the first time, which of course blows your mind at the end of the episode. You're like, wait, did those just move as they went into warp? No way. Uh, but you get the geometry here. Then of course you get all the, uh, all the stuff that actually happens on the array. This is some of my favorite stuff because you get the holographic technology and you get a mystery that's set up. All of these uh, holographic characters seem to be hostile towards the folks on, from the Voyager and the Maquis folks. And yet um, you kind of find out in the end that this whole episode has been set up because of this one entity. And I know we're not really spoiling anything here because everybody's seen this episode at this point. Uh, and we're talking about the caretaker, of course. So what, what we get is we get drawn into the story in a perfect way. You get the, the B story right away with the Maquis. You get the A story with the introduction of the Voyager, the captain. She comes in with a – she's got a very cool presence. You know, she's got her hands on her hips the first time you see her. And, of course, when she's on the bridge, she just takes control right away, tells Harry Kim right away, don't call me sir. I know that's what they teach at the academy. Don't call me sir. Call me captain or ma'am in a pinch. <laughs> one thing that I noticed throughout this episode, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this episode and the last episode that we watched, Endgame, do you remember who always calls her ma'am? It's Tom Paris. He never call he like sometimes calls her captain, but but he calls her ma'am more often than he calls her captain, which I think is just hilarious. I guess I guess it means the poop's always hitting the fan when Tom Paris is involved. <laughs> but uh so yeah, and then I'll just, I don't want to take all the time, but I love, one of my favorite characters from Voyager is Chakotay, or excuse me, is uh, Tuvok. I love the way that he comes in as a, supposedly one of the Maquis folks. It was a little bit unbelievable right at the beginning of the series back in 1995 when I saw the Vulcan on the uh, bridge of the Maquis ship though, and I said, gosh, is that? is that a logical place for him to be? And they didn't really give him a good reason to be on that Maquis ship, but that's okay because he's, he's only on it, you know, before the credits, they basically figure out later on that he was a plant and, and Tuvok just becomes one of my favorite characters. He is like the, as all first officers should be the mirror against which Janeway always measures herself. She knows that she can be fiery she knows that she cares a lot about her crew and that she has a lot of super strong emotions about things that are going on. So she, un, she like, is so insightful about herself that she knows that Chakotay is that perfect balance. Or I keep saying Chakotay. Tuvok is that perfect balance for her because of his 100% Vulcan, you know, logical nature. Um, Excuse me, Chakotay is the first officer, but Tuvok as her as her real confidant, I will say, throughout the series. Um, I think she has a special relationship with Chakotay, but I, I consider Tuvok the one against which she she really balances her her nature. 
So I really dig this episode. I like the introduction of the Kazon and how they're kind of uh, friends at first, and then they turn into enemies kind of because of what Neelix does. Uh, and I'll still defend Neelix, but he sort of does put Voyager in a pickle in this episode. But my favorite part of this episode is really the end because it isn't until the end that we get the caretaker revealing what's actually going on and that, that his life is ending. And, you know, Janeway makes the tough call. I, I think of out of all of the Star Trek captains that we get, Janeway is the one who has to constantly measure the needs of her crew against the needs of the folks out there in space. And, you know, at the end of this episode, it's absolutely her making a choice. Okay, 141 people on my ship versus an entire race of people, the Okampan. What choice am I going to make here? So tough pickles she's always put in. I love the way that Catherine Mulgrew comes out super strong as Janeway in this episode. So um, I put it above a 5.6 myself, but we'll talk about our ratings at the end. What do you think about this episode, Charles? Well, okay, let me put some science. Definitely, if you want a good backstory to this, the autobiography of Catherine Janeway is worth it to understand why is Tuvok there. You don't get the backstory in the series, you get the backstory in the book. Also, comment from Eric about, yes, ma'am. If you want some funny commentary on that, you need to listen to the Flyers podcast because that's a running joke with those two. And he definitely admits the fact that, yeah, he had quite a bit of yes, ma'am in there. (laughs) And sometimes... Tone it differently depending on the reaction to it. Because you can definitely get some interesting inflections by depending on how you say it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So I know we had some fun with that in the series. This one, it's been a while. I got to see part of Caretaker. And definitely it's an interesting... Direction for the series, I completely forgotten about the Star Wars style scroll in the opening. Kind of more of a Star Wars type thing. I think it's a little cheesy, but I guess it works to kind of fit you into the story. Definitely, you see a lot more hash in the characters as time goes. Because this poor doctor who's. Okay, even in the stories. There's a couple of characters you see. Oh, a couple of crew members, several crew members die in this episode. And you're thinking, oh, okay. You get to Janeway's autobiography, and it's like, oh, yeah, that was a lot harder on her. And she had just put these crew members on board and had gone to school with them. These were close friends that she had lost in there. So it's really very interesting what really happened to some of those characters. And Charles, hold on. 
Hold on to that thought. We have to take our final commercial break, but we're not done. Charles still has to tell us what he thought about Caretaker, and you still have to hear from me, so don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear from our very own GM, Chris. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast Time. Hailing frequencies are always open, and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. Okay, and we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Voyager Caretaker, and Charles was just giving us his input. Go ahead, Charles. Oh, I heard Chris and lost my train of thought, but definitely to get yourself more into the series, definitely it's worth the autobiography and the Flyers podcast get some good backstories into the series. But before we run out of time, what do you think, Uncle Jim? Well, okay. <laughs> so Voyager is not my favorite um, at all. I'm not going to get into why. I don't, I don't like dissing on Star Trek, so I'm not going to. What I'm going to say is I really, really like uh, the holographic Doctor. I thought it was a great character. I always liked him right from the start, liked him right to the end. I think that was a great uh, thing that they did by introducing a character who's not real. And I thought that was, was phenomenal. Um, I also liked how it began on Deep Space Nine and seeing Quark dealing with Harry Kim. And if, if you remember, we also got to see um, um, uh, Morn. Morn. He was sitting at the – Morn was at the bar doing what Morn does best. And I thought that was great. So that was cool, starting off at Deep Space Nine. Uh, the fly around the Voyager with um, Lieutenant Stadi was awesome as well. Um, you know, they killed, they, they killed her off really quick. Um, they killed off the first officer. They killed off the, um, the doctor. doctor. They killed off the chief engineer. Um, and, and actually, I thought the doctor and first officers were, like, a little bit dinky. I mean, they're spreading rumors about Tom Paris and telling Harry Kim, you know, don't hang out with him, he's bad news type of thing. They weren't, in my opinion, very Starfleety, so, I, you know, I didn't miss them being gone at all. Um, Tom Paris, I thought, was, my, was the biggest surprise because he should have been Nicholas Lacarno from TNG. Character has the same backstory, uh, same father as an admiral, you know, thrown out of Starfleet, the whole nine yards. Uh, maybe they changed the name because of contractual obligations between TNG and Voyager. I don't know. But I always felt that that character should have been, would have been better had he been Nicholas Bacarno from TNG. Um, yeah, I, I, at the end of the episode, uh, one of our, our fans mentioned, I'm like, you know, they could have gotten home and, and saved the Ocampa simultaneously um, because the Kazons don't have transporters. So Janeway could have easily beamed over a, a, uh, a photon torpedo with a proximity charge set to detonate in three minutes and activated the array and gotten Voyager home and still destroyed the array, saving the Ocampa. Uh, so there's that. 
But then again, you wouldn't have a show, so that's that too. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like the Kazon. They were just, to me, like Klingons with a bad hair day. And I just never really got into them, unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm Of all the Star Trek premieres, this is I, my least favorite one of the six. I would put this at six. Um, but I'm a little bit more forgiving than our fans. I think 5.6 is a little bit too low. Um, I would probably put this probably maybe a six, maybe, um, on, on a scale of one to ten. It wasn't a terrible, terrible premiere. There was a lot about it that I that I enjoyed, and it was it, it was engaging, and it was fun to watch. So I, I'm not going to go with a 5.6, but I, I would go with a 6, I think. Maybe a 6.3. So how about you, Charles? Oh, up Jim by a little bit and go to 6.5. Point five. So yeah. So, we, we, what about you, Eric? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna up it a little bit because I really like the different types of characters that they introduced and um, and you know I thought the story was actually pretty good and it it was very it felt very Starfleety to me right from the very beginning. So I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. Cool. So we're we're, we're we are above our fans. Which mm-hmm. does that happen very often? <laughs> I'm not uh, sure. Well, yeah, well, sometimes. I don't know. Not always, though. That's but, for sure. Not always. But in this case, it did. So uh, this is where Star Trek Voyager began, launching from Deep Space Nine with the pilot episode of Caretaker. But we're not done because we're going to talk about Endgame, which was the series finale for Star Trek Voyager. And remember I was talking about the crappy 30-second clip? All right. I'm, I apologize. I wish I could have found a better clip for Endgame, but I couldn't. So here's the UPN 30-second clip for Endgame. Beam on board for May's biggest event. There's a vessel coming through the rift. Hang on. Federation. The final episode of Voyager. Seven of nine is going to die. My death would be a small price to pay for. Will they make it home? To quote Ambassador Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. We're not going to attempt this unless everyone in this room agrees. Stop that! Voyager will be destroyed. The Star Trek Voyager series finale. Uh-huh. A two-hour television event. Star Trek Voyager Endgame. And guys, we have a caller on the line. Let me see if I can get the phone Woo-hoo. to pick up here. Let me see here. Hello, thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name, and where are you calling us from tonight? Yeah, my name is Joe from Montana, so I see the... Um, hey, how you, how you doing? The description page is about one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, The Caretaker. Is that at the um, the second meeting when he won't help them, or is that, or is that the first meeting? Uh, or, or, they, or is it just one meeting? I forget. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're thinking of the traveler. Maybe. Yeah. So it wasn't the caretaker yeah, the care one that brought them, that took them out of their, or took them out of their journey and put them on the six-year uh, voyage back home? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So was it, did, did, um, Janeway meet him just once or twice? 
Uh, just once that she met him, but then later on in another episode of Voyager, I believe, if I remember right, it was called Cold Fire, she actually meets up with the female caretaker that they talk about in this particular episode. So this caretaker dies at the end of this episode, but then she does meet up with another caretaker who actually had built another array um, in another episode. Ah, all right. I don't even I don't remember that one. Um, yeah. Whatever happened to the other superhuman race? Uh, I think there was another one. Was it on Star Trek Voyager or was it on Picard? Well, there are so many. There There's the Q. I only knew. There's Gary Mitchell. There's uh, uh, Gary or not Gary Seven, but uh, oh, Jim. Who's the other guy? Not Gary Mitchell, but the other guy with the super uh, Charlie X. From uh, TOS. Uh, so yeah, well, they had the like ones. Them. They had the ones from uh, what was it from? Oh, the, that one always followed Picard around the universe. He always showed up when uh, to be That's a new. Q. Yeah. Q. That was it from Q. Yeah. But there was another one that had only only appeared about one or two episodes, and then I never heard from them again. And I wondered about. But in any case, your show's about uh, the caretaker, so. Um, so they, so Janeway didn't meet up with him twice. I thought she had, um, and I thought maybe she tried pleading with him again, but no. All right, well, my memory's faulty. Okay. I'll let yeah, you guys get back on. to the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, That's go back okay. and watch the Voyager episode Cold Fire again if you want to. It's episode 10 of season two, and that gives you the second sort of caretaker story of this series if you're interested. All right. Thank you much. You bet. Hey, thanks for calling. Sure. Have Bye-bye. a good night. You too. So uh, Voyager Endgame was the season finale, the final episode of Star Trek Voyager. It has seven-year run. Um, it was episode 25 and 26 of the seventh season, episode 171 and 172. It was originally shown on May 23, 2001 on the UPN Network as a double-length episode. This episode won two Emmy Awards, uh, which only four other Star Trek episodes had done. It won for Outstanding Music Composition for a Series, Dramatic Underscore by Jay Chataway, and Outstanding Special Effects for a Series, in both cases beating the Voyager episode Workforce, which was also nominated in those categories. Endgame was also nominated for Outstanding Sound Editing for a Series. In 2015, Sci-Fi ranked Endgame as one of the top ten episodes of Star Trek Voyager. In 2019, Nerdist rated Captain Catherine Janeway one of the top seven time-traveling characters in all of Star Trek for her role in Endgame. They also ranked it as the fifth best time travel episode of all Star Trek in between Tomorrow is Yesterday at number six and All Good Things at number four. Alex Krieg returns to the role of the Borg Queen for the first time since Star Trek First Contact. The character was portrayed by Susanna Thompson in the four previous Voyager episodes. Charles, what did our Facebook fans have to say about Star Trek Voyager Endgame? Well, let's start off with Ben Della, even eight. Kind of an abrupt ending after making it back to Earth. Josh Pennell says 10. It's perfect and makes me cry every time. John Harrington gave an 8. 
should have been one more episode called Epilogue or Homecoming. And Michael Trotter said, give it a seven. They locked the story up too fast. Carmen Gabriel needed to come back. We need more. Give it a ten. And Ken Dobson, it would have been a ten if we'd seen a couple more episodes of the crew arrived and settled on the earth. And gave it a nine. Ten overall rating of an eight point seven. Yeah. So I, I I'll start out with this one. And um I, I I so let me get this straight. So all of Star Trek that we're that we've seen is all in an alternate universe, correct? Everything we've ever seen because Janeway went back and changed time. Am I correct? Uh, there's several no. where they consider they change time. Yeah, no, well, I'm not I mean, sure. Um, no, Jim, no, alterations by this episode to the timeline only happen between 33 years after when a Voyager starts originally, and 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 that time. So there's only. There's only like a 30-something year span of time that's changed here. It doesn't go back and change anything that happened before, uh, like on DS9 or TNG or TOS or anything like that. None of that gets changed by this episode. Well, it, it changes everything because Seven of Nine died, and now she's on Star Trek Picard, and she's alive again. So Right, but so, your question is, does this episode change everything we've ever seen before? And the answer is no. The prime timeline that we're following right now is the prime timeline where Seven lives, and that's what Picard is. And the, ti- and the reason that we call that the prime timeline is that that is the, the through line that has continued through all of Star Trek. You can't go back and look at all these alternate futures and... You know, Janeway has died 11 times on Voyager, right, through alternate futures and different things. So this is just the only difference with Endgame is that we get three quarters of an episode that occurs in an alternate timeline where Janeway is Admiral and she eventually comes back. And it's not until the last kind of quarter of the episode when she, spoiler alert, she uh, rigs it so that the Voyager gets back home. So, yeah. I call it the prime, I call it all prime timeline because it is the continuum that eventually we end up with at the end of Voyager, which is the very last scene when they arrive home and they get home. Everything that happens before that is just Star Trek shenanigans, time travel, whatnot. Once again, at the very end, they get to where they're supposed to be. That's the prime timeline. So the, the temporal investigations core doesn't exist at this time. Well, they may, but I will say that they chose not to make them part of this because they are actually uh, – actually, they're not even technically introduced until Enterprise. So, yeah, I mean, they, I guess, in canon exist, but they haven't actually no, been they, introduced yet. Are they in they DS9? Were in DS, they were in uh, DS9. Remember when they went was? back to Trouble with Trouble – we were reintroduced to them at that point. <gasps> right. Yes, you're right. They were in More Trouble, More Tribbles. Okay, so so they exist, but they don't necessarily show up every single time there's time travel shenanigans in Star Trek. That is for sure. So this is just well, another I, I, one yeah. of those where 
where Janeway is kind of – and the other thing is that this episode ends kind of like they get home, and then that's just the very end of it. And we don't actually see any fallout from Admiral Janeway's activities. Well, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is normally when we see time travel on Star Trek, it always ends up back where it began and nothing ever actually changes. You know, they beam the pilot back in as the ship, as the as the ship, as the pilot would have seen the Enterprise. You know, they step back through the Guardian of Forever, right back to the moment. You know, they, they always try to fix things back to where we left them. So everything in the episode really didn't affect what happened afterwards. But in this episode, she physically actually goes back and changes everything intentionally changes it which is that a star trek thing is that something that 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 picard or kirk or any other captain would have done is actually change everything i'm i'm not sure um so yeah i just wanted to throw that out there because she changes the future for everybody she makes a decision that's going to affect everyone and, you know, and doesn't fix it. She does it intentionally knowing what she's doing and still goes. Now, the older, well, let me not get confused here. The younger version of her that's in the other timeline doesn't agree with her coming back in time to changing the future. So the Janeway that we see as the younger Janeway in this episode doesn't agree with the older Janeway's reasoning for changing everything. So that Janeway is thinking different than the old Janeway who goes back in time. Um, so I guess the right. question which is I think is Which I think is actually part of the point of the episode because what you see is that 23 extra years on the run from whomever uh, to get back to the Alpha Quadrant has done a number on Admiral Janeway. And she's actually willing to compromise some principles that may or may not have been compromised by younger Janeway along the way. And I actually like how in this episode they bring the Admiral on board who starts slinging her weight around, uh, you know, like any good Admiral should, and Captain Janeway puts her in her place. And is like, no, this is my ship. You will follow my rules. My crew will not follow your orders. They will follow my orders. So I really like the do. fact that they that they and they do and they do, and if you really think about it, I mean, I think Jim, you may be thinking of Admiral Janeway as a prime timeline, but if you think about it, you know, the episode before this one. So if we if we consider that each episode follows the next, you know, in any series. Um, the episode before this one, Renaissance Man, is not a future episode, right? It's a, it's a currently now season seven, you know, young Janeway episode. And so the young Janeway and the current crew of the USS Voyager are our main story. And the fact that we kind of start this episode in, uh, in the future with Admiral Janeway, I kind of think of that as the same way I think about like a uh, – like a mirror universe episode or something like that. You know, it's, it's this thing that we get to follow. That's a real mystery because it's like, Oh my gosh, who's, who's Admiral Janeway and this and that. She is the anomaly. 
she goes back and changes the timeline, right, but she's the anomaly. And the timeline that we're, quote, supposed to happen, that is supposed to happen, is the one that eventually ends up happening in the end. That's the way that I look at this. And I will say that Janeway so, is one of those captains that throughout the whole series makes a lot of these decisions, these types of decisions. Are you, so. are you, are you saying that, that it's, a it's a predestined time paradox where she, the, she always went back and changed it and we're just seeing it happen and that if she doesn't go back and change the, the past, then she's altering the future by not changing the past where it, it's part of what happens anyways? Is that what you're saying? I think with, yeah, I think if we use your argument, which I think is a, val a valid one, of every time travel episode of Star Trek resets it back to where it should have been, yes. I think, that's, I think that we have this concept. I don't know if they call it predestination in Star Trek, but they certainly have this idea that there is a, a correct timeline and an incorrect timeline. And they choose to correct things all along the way to presumably follow whatever the, you know, correct timeline is. So, yeah, that's actually exactly what I'm saying, that, that for whatever reason, oh, and I think that you could cite multiple times over all of Star Trek where this happens, that's the correct timeline. So, anyways, I, I did enjoy this episode. I thought it was pretty cool when, when the Klingons came after her. Harry Kim was a captain of a Nova class, which is the USS Equinox. I thought that was really neat. The holographic doctor is married and, and has a wife. And we get to see Reginald Barkley, and he's teaching at the Academy, which I, I loved all of that about the episode. And uh, Paris and Balana Torres have a daughter, which is really cool. And uh, born in the transport conduit. It, it, it was it was really and seeing seeing Alex Creek back as the Borg Queen, her interactions with Janeway, and the way she tricks her and and wipes out the Borg with the with the nano probe infection thing was really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Other than the, the predestined time paradox, paradox thing, I thought it was pretty cool overall. And, and you know, our fans gave it an 8.7. And, you know, you know, I think I'm right around there, right around an 8. What about you, Charles? Okay. I think I'm going to give Eric a who reference that kind of fits this thing. Six time points. There are times where the doctor can't change history because of the fixed time point. Yep. And I think Voyager's ultimate end of destroying the conduit is a fixed point time. That's what he has to do. But yeah, I would agree. Due to, due to Voyager being on VH, or UHF when it came out, UHF, ten, UHF antennas were very undependable. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult at times for me to catch the series in its complete. So I lost track of the series at one point and never got to see the finale. And I never got a chance to go back and then the entire series. I got caught after 7 of 9 and got distracted elsewhere. So I've never actually seen this one before. I've heard stories about it, but I never actually got to see the entire episode. And watching this episode from the beginning towards it, it was a confusing episode. 
I think some of our fans said the story was rushed. And I rather agree to it. And we kind of felt like, okay, we're bouncing between two different views what was happening at these two time points. <clears throat> and whereas CS9, the series ended and we had, we had some point of reference as to what happened to people. We had the fact that Next Generation ended. Voyager kind of, kind of reaches to a point that it ends. Enterprise had to end because they got cut short. CS9 did a good job of tying all the points together to what happened to people. Whereas this one, it's like, okay, here's, where they, here's what happened to them in the alternate timeline. Now we get to the real timeline, and we don't know what happened to any of these characters. And I think I agree. I think it would have been nice to see what did end up happening to some of these people. Not the fact that they just cut short. And definitely, Barkley is definitely well meant, or is properly mentioned, I explained, I think, a lot better in the autobiography. And I love how he's treated by the crew in that case. So it was a good episode, but I think they just rushed it too quickly to end the series. So on a score of one to ten, what would you what would you score it, Charles? Let's see, the fans eight point five. I'll be nice with an eight. An eight. And and Eric, you get to wrap up Voyager Endgame. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I would say that uh, there are so many things that I love about this episode, including all the stuff we've talked about, Admiral Janeway, the Borg stuff, the Doctor, um, you know, the alternate timeline stuff, the fact that we get a future glimpse of Tuvok and how we can correct that. Now he's back home, so he doesn't have to be sick anymore. They're just... And on top of all of that, the really, really amazing special effects that for Voyager were stepped up so far from DS9. I mean, they they spent so much money on special effects on Voyager. I really, really dug this episode. Um, I'm a sucker for finales, so I'm going to give this one a 9 because I really, really enjoyed it and can't really find too many flaws with it. A 9. Okay, so we're, we're, you know... Charles is, is above. Uh, Charles and myself are below the fans, and Eric is above the fans. That's pretty cool. So listen, guys, mm-hmm. uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to say next week we have a special edition of Comic Corner. And speaking of Voyager, we're going to be wrapping up the Seven of Nine story. So you guys, if you're interested in Seven of Nine, you want to tune in for that because we've got two great issues of Star Trek Voyager uh, Seven of Nine to talk about. So you don't want to miss that. Um, I'll be talking on Sunday night for Stunt Treks with E. Leslie Hoffman and myself. We're going to be talking about the Prime Directive and, you know, is it cool? Is it bad? Is it good? You know, we're going to be talking about that in great detail, Leslie and myself, on Sunday night. I want to say thank you, each and every one of you guys that's listening. We couldn't do the show without you. We appreciate all of you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for supporting us. 
please head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out and give us a like, give us a follow, tell us where you're from, and maybe we'll mention you in a shout-out. And if you want to help us out, head over to patreon.com backslash trektalking and uh, drop us a dollar, a dollar a month, and help us keep the show on the air because we do have to pay for this phone line so that fans can give us a call and share their opinion because fan interaction is so important to us, and we love it when you guys call us. So please, if you can help, we would really appreciate it. And I want to say thank you to my co-host, Eric, for hanging out and talking Trek with us tonight. Thank you so, so much, Eric. You bet. I had a blast, guys. And, of course, to my one and only right-hand man, Charles. We couldn't do the show without you either, so thank you so much for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Charles. Thank you, Jim. It was a lot of fun. In fact, I want to throw one thing out. I want to throw a little comment out to fans. We're always worried about COVID. Well, we had, I had a good adventure last night. This Las Vegas Star Trek fan club got to meet in person for the first time in one year. We've been doing Zoom meetings. We started a Zoom meeting last night, but we also met in person. And we accepted the social distancing but it was still nice to actually have an in-person event. So there's That's hope cool. out there to do these kind of things. And, um, of course, I want to say thank you to you guys for hanging out with me, and thank you to everybody for listening. And please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. We want you guys to be around for a long time, and we want you guys to come back and hang out with us next week. Same bad time. Same bat channel. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying thank you, kapla, and good night. We'll talk to everybody next week. Night, y'all. And hailing frequencies are closed. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.